0: Thank you. guys, welcome back as we wrap up the book of Judges, as we wrap up a period of 300 years of just evilness. You know, many people have called this the Israeli dark age and, you know, praise the Lord. He at times would raise up individuals to speak into lives, just Enough to keep it going, right? Pretty much that's how it is. Enough to, oh, I have my spare tire. Let's use that to keep us going to the next point. Like, that's kind of how it feels like with the book of Judges. And so what we're going to unfold is in in Judges 21, as we really wrap up uh, this whole chapter, you know, our goal, remember this, the goal is always to point to the Messiah. Ultimately, there's going to be a judge who comes in and saves and delivers his people. That person is Yeshua. That person is Jesus. And so all of these stories... We want to just say ultimately we are a mess ultimately because of our sin and because of death that we deserve we need a deliver we need a judge to come in and save us and so all of these stories all of these stories as as weird and as crazy as they are they should always point to the ultimate judge the ultimate judge which is is christ and so i just want to point that out and why that's even important is this is kind of cool because what you're going to see in Judges 21, it's a weird title that most commentaries everybody puts, is that they are going to look for brides for Benjamites. Okay? Benjaminites. Benjaminites. There you go. And this seems kind of weird because in Judges 20, what did they almost do? They almost killed everybody. 25,000 warriors, right? They almost wiped out. But now here you have in Judges 21, verse 1, it says, the men of Israel had sworn an oath at Mitzpah. Okay, so somewhere before attacking Benjamin. Okay, somewhere in there, they they made an oath. We don't have this in our documents. We don't have this in scripture. But somewhere they made an oath that said, none of us will give his daughter, okay, to a Benjamite. In marriage. It's kind of a weird oath, but you know what they really are saying? We don't want this tribe to last. That's what they're saying. We don't want this thing to carry on. But then in verse 2, oh they're like, what did we do? The people went to Bethel and they sat there before God until evening. And they wept loudly and bitterly. It was this they, they realized that they almost killed their fellow brother. I mean, they did kill 25,000 of them, but as a, as a corporate, they're like, what have we done? And there's an inner, there's this, a depth, there's this sorrow. And you know, the question is, is this really godly sorrow or is this worldly sorrow? Are they, are they really upset that they almost wiped out their tribe? Only time will tell, but either way, there was a sorrow that it was to the point where it says in verse three, they cried out and they said, why Lord God of Israel? Has it occurred that one tribe is missing? In Israel today. So, like God, what's what's going on here? In verse 4, the next day, the people, they got up early, they built an altar there. So, back up here for a second. When they're weeping and they're crying, all this stuff, they're mourning, somebody's missing with them. Okay, does that make sense? They're, somebody in our group is missing about what took place with Benjamin. Okay? That's kind of the backdrop. So, then in verse 4, the next day, the people got up early, they built an altar there. And offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Like, you guys, it, it almost feels like, like they're almost. It's almost like, are they turning to the Lord right now? Like, we don't see this often. Like, is this? Wait a minute. Are you actually sorry? Are you actually sorry for all of the sin? I mean, burnt offerings. It's usually a sacrifice, right, uh, of, of an atonement, uh, acknowledging sin, the sin nature and you're recognizing a renewed relationship with God. I mean, you're saying, whoa, there's some problems here. So just by saying that, now think about this, in the fellowship offering, it's a voluntary sacrifice, giving to thank the Lord for provision and deliverance. It's almost like this can't be the book of Judges. Like this, this can't, this, no. This has to be Deuteronomy. This has to be Exodus. But this is, this is one little, I don't want you to miss this. This is one glimmer, it's a glimmer of hope. And I love I love what Nelson says. It's a, the Israelites are actually showing signs of returning to the Lord. But interesting enough, God requires more than sacrifices and offerings. I'm going to walk you through some verses here. Go to Joel 2, verse 12 and 13. Joel 2, verse 2, 12 and 13. I'm going to kind of walk through it's more than just the outside. Even now, this is the Lord's declaration. You turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and mourning. And then it says in verse 13, tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in faithful love, and He relents from sending disaster. Like, does it really bother your heart that this has taken place? Or are you just doing this for a show? Like, you need to, Scripture says, rend your hearts, tear your hearts, and not your garments like this is the attitude that we need to start seeing within the book of judges and so just going to write this on here Joel 2 verses 12 through 13 and then if we can I want to talk through go to Genesis 37 34 I want to talk through uh, some of the outward stuff and then I'm going to go to the inward stuff okay Genesis 37 34 Jacob tore his clothes put sackcloth around his waist and he mourned for his son many, many days. So I think it's okay to say you can have a both and. And I want to walk through that because that's what a lot of these guys would know. So there is this tearing of the clothes. Now we do know that there is a tearing of the heart. Okay, and these are the clothes here. Let's keep going to 2 Samuel 1, 11. Look, you have to hang out here on these kind of verses because you don't have many of them in, Jud- in Judges. So then what does David do? David took hold of his clothes and he tore them and all the men with him did the same. So, same thing here in Second Samuel, one eleven, tearing of the clothes. Okay, Kevin, if you'll keep going here, go to Job one twenty. Job one twenty, it says this, and these are obviously the outward. Job one twenty says, Job Job stood up, he tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and worshipped. So he tore his robe and shaved. Okay, so all of these are outward experiences, outward expressions of mourning, of grieving, of dealing with the sinful nature. Now let's go to the the inside. Can you go to Hosea 6, 6? Okay, Hosea 6, 6 says this. For I desire loyalty and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Man, this is, this is, this is huge. And if you think about this, this is really where uh, the book of Judges needs to turn. We need to start seeing loyalty take place. Wouldn't you agree? We need to start seeing the knowledge take place and not everything else. And I, I just, I think that's really interesting that that word loyalty will carry all throughout this land. Continues on in the seven, Psalm fifty-one seven, that you guys can even almost predict and recite that one. Here he has David, but purify me with hyssop. And I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. And so David is crying out, and he he recognizes he needs an inner healing. He needs a, to be washed clean on the inside. Uh, and then the last one, 2 Corinthians seven ten. This is the last one here. Second Corinthians seven ten says, "For godly grief, and look what it does. It produces a repentance, not to be regretted, and leading to salvation. But worldly grief produces death." I think this verse is a great verse to have as a backdrop anytime you come into an environment of grief. It should, it, it will produce a repentance to not be regretted and it leads to salvation, but worldly grief always leads to, to death. Okay, so just in this regards, I'm just going to write the word repentance here. So this is the backdrop, okay? I want you to think through in scripture when it says in verse four, the next day these people, they built an altar, they're offering burnt offerings, fellowship offerings. And all we're just saying is just remember this. In order for this to be legit, it needs to be inner heart as well. That's all we're trying to get at today. In verse five, then it says, the Israelites, this is what they asked. Who of all the tribes of Israel didn't come to the Lord with the assembly? Like who didn't come and grieve with us? For the great oath had been taken that anyone who had not come to the Lord at Mitzvah would certainly be put to death. But the Israelites had compassion on their brothers, the Benjamites, and said, today a tribe has been cut off from Israel. So, hey, who is this? And then it says in verse seven, what should we do about wives for the survivors? We've sworn to the Lord not to give them any of our daughters as wives. So, in other words, if we want to see the tribe of Benjamin actually carry over, then we've got to figure out how they can actually reproduce. Right. And that's really what they're asking. That's really what they're saying, right? In verse 8, it says, They asked, What city among the tribes of Israel didn't come to the Lord at Mitzvah? It turned out that no one from Jabesh Gilead had come to the camp and the assembly. It's kind of interesting. And so uh, I like this line here. When the people were counted, okay, it says no one was there from the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead, okay? And so Jabesh Gilead, okay, this is what we're talking about right here, okay? Now look at this. The, the, the family line of Gilead, okay? They descend from Manasseh, grandson of Rachel, but then the blood tie with the descendants of Benjamin OK, and the men of Jabesh Gilead. So it's going to go all the way through. I think this is really cool. The Gilead line. OK, it's going to come through Manasseh, Rachel and Benjamin. <laughs> Wonderful. OK, they didn't put an oath uh, on the on the, the city. Right. And the city deserved to be punished. OK, so watch this in verse 10. The congregation sent 12,000 brave warriors there and commanded them. Go and kill the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with a sword, including women and children. And then it says, this is what you should do. Completely destroy every male as well as every female who has slept with a man. Okay. But then in verse 12, here was their saving grace. They found among the inhabitants. So who did not make the oath? Let's go get them. Let's go kill them so we can have their wives for the Benjamites. Everybody with me? That's the process of this story. They found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins who had not had sexual relations with a man and they brought them to the camp at Shiloh in the land of Canaan. Okay, if you see 400 young women, that sounds good, but it's not enough. Kevin, can you go to Judges 20 verse 47? Judges 20 says, but 600 men escaped into the wilderness to the rock of Rimon and stayed there for months. So here you have Rimon, okay? So maybe these 600 men from, how do you say this town, this community? (laughs) Jabbath, Gilead. So they're hanging out here. They go and find them, right? There's, that's, there's 600 men. So if you find 400 women, what's 600 minus 400? (laughs) You're short 200 women. For the tribe of Benjamin. Like when we say they almost wiped out Benjamin, they weren't kidding. And so now they're saying, look, in order for this uh, tribe to actually grow, let's help them. And so, okay, this is what we're going to do. So they're short tooth. They have two thirds, but they need another third. And so now what do we do? Scripture says this in verse 13. The whole congregation sent a message of peace to the Benjamites who were at the Rock of Ramon, right? This is the Rock of Ramon. And Benjamin returned at the time and Israel gave them the women that they had kept alive from Jabbath Gilead, but there were not enough for them. I have wondered who gets left out. There's 200 guys that don't get women. (laughs) I mean, I I always wonder, like, seriously, you wonder... Who are the 200 were like, okay, fine, you go. Oh, no. I, you know, so it's curious. There's 200 guys that don't have women. The people had compassion on Benjamin, but the Lord had made this gap in the tribes of Israel. And the elders of the congregation said, what should we do about uh, wives for those who are left? Since the women of Benjamin have been destroyed. We totally cleaned house. We did this, right? We did this and now we feel horrible. And then they said in verse 17, there must be heirs for the survivors of Benjamin so that a tribe of Israel will not be wiped out. And in verse 18, but we can't give them our daughters as wives. Why? Because they made a a commitment, right? An oath for the Israelites had sworn anybody who gives a wife to a Benjamite is cursed. So they they found a community that didn't make that oath. And now they're just short 200. (laughs) And then verse 19, this is where it gets a little awkward. They also said, look, there's an annual festival to the Lord in Shiloh which is in north of Bethel, east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Lebanon. Okay, so what you have here is probably the Feast of Tabernacles during the fall time uh, or, you know, maybe during the Passover time. They're not, there's always a comparison, Tabernacles or Passover. And then it says in verse 20, then they commanded the Benjamites, go and hide in the vineyards during this festival. They encouraged them to go steal somebody. That's what's going to happen. Verse 21, Watch. And when you see the young women of Shiloh come out to perform the dances, each one of you leave the vineyards and catch a wife for yourself from the young women of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. That's called kidnapping. Just so you know. (laughs) Because we can't give you women. We can't give you daughters. We want you to leave the vineyard and go. It's called the new game, catch a wife. Unbelievable. In verse 22, when their fathers or brothers come to us and protest, we'll tell them. Show, do, you, do you, you hear this, right? The fathers and brothers of the women that you're going to steal. Show favor to them since we did not get enough wives for each of them in the battle. You didn't actually give the women to them, so you're not guilty of breaking your oath. <laughs> it's kind of like the Micah argument. Hey, what are you, what are you guys doing? Shut up. Okay. You know, I mean, like it's this weird argument. In Scripture, that's what they're talking about. Oh, my goodness. And in verse 23, it says the Benjamites did this. So the 200 guys, the 200 leftovers, right? Somehow that lost rock, papers, and scissors. They took the number of women they needed from the dancers they caught. I wonder how that went. Anybody else think that's a bizarre scenario? Like, hey, you want to come with me? No. And then they just probably took them. And they did this and they took the number of women they needed from the dancers they caught and they went back to their own inheritance, rebuilt their cities and lived in them. In verse 24, it says, At that time, each of the Israelites returned from there to his own tribe and family and each returned from there to his own inheritance. In verse 25, as we just close this whole thing out, and this is going to be fun. I'm excited. I've been wanting to do this for a long, long time. And I think you'll see where we're going to go with this in a second. In Judges twenty-one twenty-five, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what he wanted. Four times. In fact, Kevin, if you'll go there, four times. If you go to Judges 17, 6, I just want you to understand the big picture of the book of Judges. In Judges 17, 6, in those days there was no king. In Judges 18, verse 1, if you'll go there. In Judges 18, 1, it says this, In these days, there was no king in Israel. In Judges 19.1. In Judges 19.1, it says the same thing. In those days when there was no king in Israel. And then in Judges 21.25. Judges 21.25, it says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Over and over and over. Because there was no king, Kevin, according to verse 25, what did they do? Whatever they wanted. They did whatever they wanted. The men of Gibeah, they raped a woman all night. The farmer and the Levite, they agreed that homosexual rape was not good, but they were okay with the other kind of rape. The men of Benjamin, uh, they, they had no problem overlooking sin and defending the evil. And in Israel, crazy enough, Massacres of innocent people, kidnappings of innocent people constantly going against the law, constantly taking their eyes off of him. And I'm just going to tell you this. The reality is we do the same thing. The difference is they didn't have a king and we do. His name is King Jesus. And what I love about the book of Judges and I've been praying, you guys, for a long time for Revive School. Like, When can I just take a chunk to describe King Jesus to you? And I know in the book of Matthew we talked about Jesus being king. And I know in Mark we talked about him being the servant. But I'm talking about the King Jesus that rules in your life when this is really your life. When this is really the reality of sin in your life, when you're facing death in your life, when constantly sin is just crouching at your door, literally waiting for you to mess up, that's when you need to understand who King Jesus is in your life. Because in the in the judges, they had no king. They had nobody in charge. And all I want to just say is, but they kept looking for one, didn't they? They wanted a judge to come in to save him and deliver him, but they kept falling short and kept falling short. Othniel, great guy, but he fell short. Samson, great guy, but he fell short. Gideon, great guy, but he fell short. Deborah, every one of these continued to fall short. Why? Because it was an ultimate picture of the real king, the real judge that's going to come in and set us free from all of this. And you know, for me, I just, I, we bank so much on our actions. We bank so much on what we do. But the reality is, in the scriptures, like, we're all in this evil period. All of us. And the scripture says, in Romans 3, 23, and Kevin, if you'll go there on the screen too, and, I want to read each one of these because I'm telling you guys, the only way we can view the book of Judges is is that we now have hope. In Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned, and every one of us falls short of the glory of God. We're no different. Honestly, we're no different than the Israelites. We all continue to sin. We all continue to put up our false idols. We all take our little money and we build our own little things. And and then yet we go back to Him. But the reality is, is that we continue to fall short Every one of us. And so here's what I want to just say is that the reality is on the scriptures is that every one of us, every one of us, we sin. And then it goes to Romans six twenty three. Because of sin, what you see on Mindy's painting, because of sin, you know what it leads to? It leads to death and destruction. The wages of sin, what you and I earn, not just the Israelites, but Gentiles. We all earn death. I'm not going to write black on here again, <laughs> but it's death. It's because of sin, it always leads to death. There's no questions asked. And so in the book of Judges, the period of Judges, or in the period of America today, because we sin, and I'm just going to tell you now, it doesn't matter if you're Hindu, Buddhist, Mormon, Christian, atheist, agnostic, somebody who doesn't want to be labeled as something, older generation, millennial, it doesn't even matter. Sin will always lead to death for every single person. Look at the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was literally almost destroyed, but God spared them. And you know how he spared us? You know how he spares every person, Jewish or Gentile? He spared him by his love. God just said, enough's enough. In Romans 5, 8, it says, but God proves his own love. You know that word proves? He demonstrates. He tangibly shows up. He sends the Gideons during that time period. He sends the Deborahs. He sends the Othniels. But you know who he sent for us? His name is Jesus, Jesus Christ. And he died. He literally came here on earth. That's how he demonstrated. He actually did it. In that while we're still a mess, while we're Israelites or while we're Americans, turning our back against God, He says, I I still love you. I came to set you free from all of these things ultimately that you should die for. And Jesus says, but that's what I did. I died for all of this. So this cycle, it doesn't have to be anymore. We don't have to live like that cycle any longer. And God is saying to those in the car as you're riding right now, listening, some of you think, no, 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 I've done too much. I've done so much. I've said so much. There's no way on earth that a God in heaven could still love me. And he says, no, I I, I love you regardless. And I want to go to the, the fourth word here. It's on my wristband here. It's on these colorful wristbands, sin and death and love. And it goes to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And that fourth word is, and I'm going to read this. And it says this, for you are saved by grace through faith. <laughs> I promise you, there's nothing that those Israelites at times could do. God just says, fine, I'll pour out my grace on you. I'll pour out my mercy. And in this context, he says that you're saved from the sin and the death because of an unmerited favor, because I love you regardless. I'm going to pour out my grace. And here's what you need to do. You need to have faith that it's a gift, that it's faith that I did this for you. And here's what I love. You you can't earn it. There's no other faith, no other religion in the world today that says this. Nobody. Your good is different than my good. And if our good is different, how do we know is good, good enough? Which is why he says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, in verse 9, he says, you're not good based on your works. If it was based on works, on how good you did things, then you would boast. But Jesus says it has nothing to do with you boasting and bragging and being prideful. He says, no, no, no. In fact, in verse 8, he says it has everything to do with it being a gift. And what I want to offer to every person listening, because I know there's more people that are listening right now that are not just believers. There are people here that have never embraced the gift of God. You've never embraced this, this gift that he says, all you have to do is by faith receive this love that my son Jesus died on the cross. Why? So that this cycle of craziness can stop. And when you have this faith in God's gift, it leads to the last thing it leads to life. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, Paul writes this, if you confess with your mouth, if you say actually out loud, unashamedly, Jesus, you're my Lord. Jesus is Lord. Lord meaning, hey, I'm married and I need help. I've got kids. I need help. Or I'm having a hard time, you know, dealing with something at work. I'm having a hard time at school. You're saying, Jesus, I need you to be in charge of Everything, My finances, my attitude, my actions, my thoughts. And if you actually say, Jesus, I want you to be in charge. Not not like hide it. <laughs> not like certain things because he sees everything. But you actually come to the same. When I believe in my heart that God actually raised Jesus from the dead. The scripture says in verse 10, then you will be saved. If you believe with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses and you say it out loud, Jesus, you're my Lord. Scripture says you will experience salvation. So this cycle, can I just tell you this, that that's all they saw was sin and death. We don't have that anymore. You know why we don't have that anymore? Because of the love of Christ. And because of the love of Christ, he erases that line literally by saying, have faith in me and you will get life. Now, here's the one cool thing I love about this painting that I want to tie it all together. Scripture says it's pretty clear that when you say yes to Jesus, he promises you the Holy Spirit. You know what happened with the judges is they went through a period of time the Spirit would come upon them. Mindy's painting here about the presence of the Holy Spirit to battle the enemy, to battle this. The only way you can fight this cycle is once you put your trust in Christ, you have the Spirit of God inside of you. That's how the cycle stops because in Romans 8, 14, we've alluded to this before, but I think this is really important. Once you have the Spirit of God inside of you, He will lead you and direct you. All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. Once you accept Christ, the Spirit of God comes inside of you and you are a child of God. To me, that's what the book of Judges does. The book of Judges says, Kyle, yeah, it's a mess, but the ultimate judge, he comes in, his name is Jesus, Jesus. And He gives me freedom. He gives me hope. He gives me deliverance from that cycle right there. It's kind of a crazy book. But I just want to tell you this. If you have never, ever in your life said, Jesus, I want you to be in charge. I've never had that hope. I've never given my life to Christ. I'm just going to tell you now is the time. And so I'm going to just say a simple prayer. And, you know, I know I can't see you. You can't see you. you can see me. You can hear me. <laughs> And I'm just going to pray that if you want to say yes to the Lord, that you would do it right now on this time. And so, Father, I'm just going to pray in the name of Jesus that if there's anybody listening in this moment that they're saying, I want this cycle to stop. I want to put my trust in Christ that can break this, that can set me free from sin and death. I'm just going to say right now, if that's you, would you just say out loud, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. Just say it, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and say, Jesus, forgive me of the sin and the death that I bring to the table. Forgive me of this cycle that I'm in and say out loud, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and that you were buried and that you came back alive so that I could be set free. Jesus, just say this with me out loud. I want you as my savior. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, if you said this prayer today, if you said, Jesus, I want you to be my savior. Would you let us know? Would you actually go to Time Revive? You can click on a form there and just say, hey, send us an email, uh, however you need to get a hold of us. Just. Communicate. Go to timerevive.com and just say, hey, I'm in. Or go to reviveschool.org and just say, hey, I have put my trust in Christ. And we'd love to help you grow in this process of being free from the cycle. Thanks, guys. And uh, we'll talk tomorrow from the book of Ruth.